0: Somebody that Jeff knew um, was a golf pro, and he came in and like I asked him the question, "Well, what, what makes a good golf hole?" You know, and um, he said, "Well, you know, um, you have to be able to get a good, you know, good score on it." And I said, "Well, um, then why isn't you know the green shaped like a funnel so the ball goes in?" <laughs>
1: Hi everybody, this is Soren Johnson and you are listening to Designer Notes, a podcast about why we make games. Today, we are talking to Sid Meier, who needs no introduction. Probably I think the most obvious thing is just to jump off where we left off, which was we just finished talking about Civ One. Okay. Um, and... Um, and so, then, which allows us now to talk about the game everyone wants to hear about, which is CPU Bach. Right. <laughs> um, but, uh, although it's funny because I actually, that game comes up consistently from time to time. When people like wishing that they could play that. Mm-hmm. You still fiddle around with that a little bit, right?
0: Yes, yes. I have, I mean, I, one, I have a 3DL machine every now and then, you know, that I can boot it up on. But I've fiddled around with it. On the PC, you know, in the intervening intervening years, and um, it's just a yeah, it's a lifelong curiosity of mine. You know, what could be done there, but yes, okay. There has has not been a CPU Bach 2 yet. No. (laughs) (laughs) What can you tell us about it? That started, like what? uh... Well, a couple things. Uh, It's always been, I mean, Bach has been a fascination of mine, and etc. And I just finished Civilization One. We just we didn't know it was one at the time, but we just finished Civilization, and um, I kind of didn't want to charge back into another project with that kind of uh, scope, etc. to it. I wanted to kind of you know cleanse my palette, my gaming design palette, and try something different. Uh, and we were at a place where there wasn't an obvious, uh, it wasn't time for Civilization II. Um but so it was just a... Uh, a uh, fascination of mine. The other thing was kind of happening, the 3DO machine appeared right. which promised um, that uh, the world would be made safe for multimedia, computers would live in your living room on your TV screen and the family would gather around and watch videos and kind of this the 3DO promised the integration of all forms of kind of entertainment on one, one box right. and uh, it seemed like uh, an interesting place to take Kind of a different approach to what computers could do and um, so those things kind of all came together and I uh, we made uh, we made CPU Bach. I, I developed most of it on the PC but then um, Carrie Wilkinson kind of converted it over to the 3DO it also had um, more of a sound oriented engine uh, they provided for free all these lovely pictures that we could show you while the music was playing and so it was definitely an experiment, but a kind of really interesting one for me and a lot of fun to, uh, to put that together.
1: Yeah, what was the, I mean, do you have some sort of basic theory about how you would make, you know, dynamic mock basically? Uh, well,
0: uh, I think the, the the fundamental issue is how much uh, rule-based-ishness based-ishness is there there and how much creativity and could a random number generate substitute for creativity. So you know some people when they listen to Bach they you know they say well yeah of course it's all rules of counterpoint and harmony and you know everything is predefined and and it, it's 98% rules and just a you know a little tiny bit of creativity you know and other people feel that it's sacrilege even to think about a computer trying to make music so kind of where on that spectrum of how appropriate would it be <laughs> to do this what that was kind of the question you know is it uh, if you have the rules uh, programmed codified does that do 90% of the work and you just have to you know tweak a few parameters and it'll be music or is it like um, you can try it but it's just going to be a, a disaster you know and, and I had looked at uh, some of the other things that have been done in the area and nothing really um, the, uh, everything that had been done before it seemed to me had to be at one of those two extremes either um, we got the rules figured out generally for corrals for example Uh and um, and now we just turn the engine on and it makes a new corral every every 37 milliseconds Um, but but it didn't really that's not very ambitious Um, and on the other hand there were um, these um, kind of random random number-based music where the randomness was very apparent. And uh, so I didn't say anything that kind of tried to tried to um, make the best music it could without kind of starting with a set of limitations or starting with a, a negative attitude about what could be done. So mm-hmm. it was like, let's assume this can be done and see how far we can push it. And that was kind of the... The uh, impetus behind it, and I was working with Jeff Briggs, who is a doctor in composition. Uh, so we, you know, it was just a a really interesting experiment. I think every every game is a journey from a vague idea to either total disaster or mm-hmm. a product. <laughs> and you know, this was kind of no different. I think you know, even even in a game when we're making a new game, where we Perhaps should know more about the process, et cetera. It's still that journey of discovery and not knowing what's necessarily what's going to work well, what's not going to work well. So, in some ways, there's those kind of parallels. But it was a, it was just a. Did a you, fascinating project for me did
1: you feel like you learned something about bach that you wouldn't have without trying to like can you put I, that into words you know? yeah
0: i think i yeah i think so i think it um i i certainly learned a new appreciation for bach i uh it struck me uh, the difference between seeing music on the page and hearing it right that it's a very different um experience and trying to connect those two is something that i'm still kind of working on is to Mm-hmm. Uh, music can look uh, look good, but it doesn't sound quite. You know, there's there's a, there's a disconnect between what it looks like on the page and what it what it sounds like. At least for me, right. and um, and, tr- and you know, just try to kind of the whole idea of melody is um, fascinating to me. You know that what what makes a good melody. Right. And when you know when you when you look at what other people have done, that's kind of where people have given up and said, "Well, melody is some sort of Inspiration. inspirational magic that could never be codified," you know. Um, but I I don't believe there's anything that can't be codified, you know. So um, so you know that's part of the experimentation. But I, I you know I gained a new appreciation for the simplicity. Of what Bach does the clarity of what he does but how he how he adds just a little bit of a twist I mean it's 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 um, it's intriguing he kind of you know draws you in to say this is easy this you look I mean I'm just uh, one five one you know mm-hmm. I mean I, you know all, all my pieces start with uh, you know just uh, kind of giving you the key and then I go here and then I always, you know, modulate to this, 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 or maybe this, this, and this, but it's pretty, it's pretty, uh, pretty standard progression, you know, all the dance forms are well-defined, the rhythms, um, but within that, I, you know, I tweak it a little bit here, I twist a little bit here, I, I have this overall structure where, where generally I start to use more and more interesting chords toward the end and then they start to get diminished and they start to go and, you know, and, um, so in hindsight, his stuff is simple in a way, but how he came up with it in the first place is is just fascinating and, and, and so so creative.
1: Yeah um, did you did you take a stab at trying to evaluate? You know, talk. There's something looks good versus it sounds good. Like, did you try to evaluate that inside the program? Like, I'm trying. There's an interesting parallel in that. I, there's a number of games that let you decorate stuff. Right, you could add, you know, add mm-hmm. some flowers or add some lines or add some colors here and for the most part those games have completely given up on any way to like evaluate what you do they often just give you a score of like oh you added 50 widgets so you made mm-hmm. it more beautiful right but like there's no way to judge that so right like did you try to approach that or is it just we,
0: like it's up to the user to decide we did not we we actually had that problem in sim golf uh, we we'll, we'll talk about that later but yeah. um, the the the, the program did not encourage the user to interact too much with it because that was a slippery slope of of um, how, where do you stop at that point, but uh, it was not a composing tool. It was, you set some parameters, you know, what kind of music, would I'd like some fugues and some chorales and a, and a concerto, and then it would kind of turn itself loose yeah. um, so that so there was no real evaluation. The the only ability you had was say, oh, I like that one. You know, save it, and uh-huh. so I can call it call it back. You know, but it it did not analyze. You know, oh, oh, you like that one, and that one had you know these parameters. So we'll try to use those more. It was that was not really the 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 goal of it. know yeah. um, so.
1: No. Not. Not encouraging user act- user inactivity is kind of kind of runs counter to the way you mostly work. So is that something that you think that's just inevitable? That's how that type of thing uh,
0: music generation needs to be, or do you think you could do it differently? It it could be done differently. I think you could certainly take it in the direction of um, here are three themes. You know, which one do you like best? Okay, here's one three expositions. Which one do you like best? Um, but I think the problem is that it it kind of emphasizes the player's limited knowledge of music okay. um you know it's it's a, a very we we all feel we're music experts we know what we like we right. know when we hear it we love but to get anywhere into the mechanics of it exposes you know the the, the average person's limited knowledge of it you know when you look at uh, guitar hero and things like that you know. They are very much simplifying mm-hmm. the mechanics of making music and supporting you with a band. And you know, I think that there's a um, there's a power in enabling the player. You know, giving you the tools to to leverage whatever skills you have into something much much bigger. But uh, I think it's it's easier to appreciate um, something like rock and roll, where you you, you know, there's a common common language. I, it, it it just didn't seem like um, trying to create a composition tool. I think that would just further limit and limit you know kind of the the appeal in the in the audience. Um, so uh, you know I think if we if we come back to it, there could be some interesting things to do. But uh, it was more it was more an experiment in how far could this technology go, kind of on its own, as opposed yeah. to being uh, <clears throat> really interactive with uh, with the human
1: so since you still have a working version right could you get something working on your iPhone like it seems like that would be pretty <laughs> I don't know I'd say I don't know if go far to say popular but I bet there would be a lot of people who would be interested in you having access to it
0: like I, I did a prot- yeah I, I have a uh, I have a prototype that I come back to like every year or two and fiddle with for a while and it, um, I could see it yeah, I could see it on, a, on, a, on an iPhone or, or something. Uh, I think, you know, the, what is the audience for? It was not, a you know, a raging success on the 3D. <laughs> <laughs> so and I think uh You have to find the right way to do it, I guess. <laughs> but yeah, Yeah, it would... Uh, who knows? Someday might be a fun thing to uh, resurrect.
1: Right.
0: Yeah.
1: All right. Well, um, so I think after that, we're now talking about Fraxis, right? Um, the
0: probably the last thing I worked on at um, the last thing I worked on me officially uh, at for at uh, Microprose was the Magic: The Gathering oh, right. yeah. um, game, which was uh, it's really interesting, it's a lot of fun to develop um, working with the Wizards of the Coast and what what I wanted to do was to there's you know two parts of it. There's the actual dual aspect but there's also the collectability part mm-hmm. of it which is you know key part of the, the original magic the, magic the Gathering and so I <clears throat> created kind of an adventure adventuring game which represented the collectability part you know venturing around the world finding cards going into dungeons to get more cards and um, trading buying selling you know kind of creating this adventurish type world where the collecting and building of your deck was kind of the the fundamental purpose of it and mm-hmm. um, that turned out to be really fun for people I remember you know had that kind of sieve you walk down the hall at night and there'd be two or three people like playing this, right. this adventuring game because it was addictive and we what happened was um, we talked with wizards at one point and um, they want, they felt it was important to withdraw a lot of these really, really cool cards. Like there was like the black Lotus and the monsters. Yep. There were a bunch of cards that were kind of overpowered right. and um, they were what made the adventuring game interesting because those were the really cool goals of your adventures were to, to get to these, uh, you know, really overpowered kind of cards. Um, but they felt, for the kind of uh, balance of the game, they wanted to dis- de de-emphasize these cards. So, um, for the balance well, of just the video game? No, the well. Oh, compared the, with a physical game. With the with the world of Magic in general. <laughs> the, the ecosystem. Yeah. <laughs> right, the Magic ecosystem. Yeah. And um, <clears throat> unfortunately, that kind of took a, a bit of the uh, compulsion out of the adventure. Huh. Gaming system, and uh, it was never quite the same after that. But it's still still fun. Mm-hmm. But um, it, that's interesting. It seems like
1: they they weren't willing to take that leap that like the video game could exist by itself and it wouldn't like ruin the rest of Magic. That's... I
0: think it was the danger for them was. Um, I mean, they had this awesome product. You know, I mean, the, right. the world of Magic was 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 growing by leaps and bounds. Was really taking off. So. I, I think they probably didn't want to jeopardize that world of selling cards by having kind of the these all these cool things available in the video game and in the, in the computer game you know that that were not really no longer available in the uh, in the real world so um,
1: <clears throat> could you could you even play the could you play multiplayer in your version of Magic uh,
0: not no so it was just no. a single player game it was a it was a single player game and you would duel against these different right. creatures and you know yeah. different types of decks and things like that yeah and um no, I remember...
1: it seems like a good way to work your way through building a magic deck to have a giant single-player campaign that
0: yeah that that was the idea and and you could really sense your deck getting better and better yeah. as you as you integrated these you know really overpowered cards into your deck i mean there were the multi-lands you know and it was like uh <clears throat> i've got a planes well i'm not going to replace that with the planes And you know, forced whatever, and it's like clearly getting your deck was clearly getting better, and that was a motivation that would pull you through the through the uh, the adventure game. And as that got lessened, it was uh, (coughs) that was um, it was not as compelling. I think. Yeah, it's interesting
1: because when you're worried mostly about player versus player you have to worry about that balance so much. But that's one of the great advantages of single-player games is you can just like, that's fine, right? right. Like, you know, 15 yeah. hours in, like, yeah, we can have stuff that's super, pow- super powerful. Like, that's what makes it fun. Yeah,
0: right? exactly. You want that sense of progression or getting your deck more and more powerful. Yeah. And So I think that um, the other part that I really remember is the fascination of programming the rules of magic, which oh. were um, <laughs> really, you know, complex. Yeah and uh, it's just a fun, fun programming problem to uh, to, to create that and think of a, a, a system, because a, any card can modify any other card, and, yeah. and there's all these different kind of inter- interesting interactions. And it was the first time I think I programmed a, a card game, and uh, so it was just a lot of fun <clears throat> programming rise to solve. The problems of the card interactions, which was really cool, and then the the sequence, the turn sequence with the interrupts and everything, was also another um, again, you know, programming. Programmers love these juicy, yeah. juicy, programming challenges, and it was yeah. one of those things where um, just uh, I remember uh, how, how much fun it was to program, and um, actually, when I uh, later on. Put together one of my dinosaur prototypes i really kind of resurrected a lot of those mechanics for kind of a card huh. a card-based version of yeah, a I remember a you a card-based to... version right yeah know it
1: came from that it's
0: kind of based on the, the fun that i had putting the, the magic the gathering card stuff together
1: interesting now <laughs> I hesitate to bring this up, but one of yes. the things you often do say is that the programmer shouldn't be the one having the fun. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, well I think everybody together. should have fun.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, I, it kind of makes me. I want to ask, have you have you played Hearthstone much? A bit. Okay. Yeah. I've, because one of the things that's interesting at least to me about Hearthstone is, you know, when they made magic, they, clearly, they were not thinking about whether they could translate into a video game. Mm-hmm. Where with Hearthstone, you could tell that you know, obviously that's like the the very start. Like we're gonna we're gonna take the stuff out of Magic that makes it so hard to turn into a video game,
2: mm-hmm.
1: right? Like they, you can't. There's, there's not... The whole interrupt thing doesn't happen. Right. Like, there's no thing of, like, I make a move and then you can react and then I can react to your reaction and then you can react to my reaction because that's mm-hmm. just... Right. That's kind of total chaos. It's <laughs> single player. Actually, I guess it's not that big of a deal but, like, right. in live multiplayer it's a real yes. you know, yes. disaster. Yes. So, it's interesting Here you had... You were... The arcane nature of the magic rule set was was interesting for you. That
0: that was fun. Although when I did the dinosaur version, I did simplify the rule, the the, the turn sequence. Uh, I, I mean, I do think the reacting part is interesting, but um, with multiplayer, you have a lot of Are you going to do anything? No, are you going to. You know, I think that's that's the problem that that Hearthstone solves, which is less of a problem in the uh, in single player because. Yep. Um, you're not. You know, the computer can instantly decide, and you're not kind of slowing the player down. But but some some level of simplification um, w- was was handy in the uh, in the dinosaur in the dinosaur game. Um, yeah. The other adjustment we made uh, in the Magic: of The Gathering was to change the number of lives so that <clears throat> you could like some of the lesser creatures that you're fighting might only have you know five or six lives. So it kind of sp- Oh, move things couldn't, along they could
1: only cycle through so many times
0: is that what you mean like the actual well, card or what does that no mean? there's a number of lot. Li- you know I think it's uh, each player has 20 lives magic, oh the hit points and, right. right The hit points okay um, so we fiddled with that oh okay. but um, yeah let me clarify I, I, I don't believe the player the programmer should not have fun <laughs> I, it's just not at the expense of, of the, the players player. sure but sure. If everybody's having fun all the better it's all it's all good yeah <laughs> yeah um okay did you had you were you playing magic
1: at this time like did you i did you enjoy actually it never, you played never? The,
0: i don't remember I, I might have played one or two uh card games but actually there was a uh like a, a guy that worked at, at uh, Micropros that had kind of uh gotten in it very early and was the you know the advocate for it and uh-huh. and knew you know knew the ins and outs and was really kind of the driving force behind, you know, encouraging us to do it. I think we just, you know, it was great. It was great because he kind of saw the possibilities okay. very early on. I, no, I just remember having a, a thick book
1: okay.
0: with all the cards in it, uh-huh. and that was kind of my Bible. You know, was that like, was your design a, a, document. That basically. was my design document. Man. Right, it had all the different cards and what they did. And it's pretty
1: unusual you, for you actually to be in that situation, yeah, where I, you have the design done and you're just trying to figure out how to implement it.
0: Yes, yes. Uh, although there was. Some fascinating AI, to, still to be to be run. Oh, written sure. There, yeah. Um, but yeah, it was it was it was it was different. Um, could have still been recovering from civilization, and you know maybe wanting a little more structure. I don't right. Know, I don't know, but um, uh, it was it, it was a fun. I mean, it, it was different enough from what I'd done before that it still felt very creative. You right. know, I think that's really what's you know what what motivates me is to to explore some new territory, so that was definitely new territory in a lot of ways, and yeah. a lot of fun to to put together. Cool.
1: All right. So, <laughs> and that's and then that's it, right? That's the end yes. of Microprose. So yes. You want to talk about what happened? How you came about to found
0: Fraxis? Um, the uh, Jeff and Brian and I, you know, obviously we're working at uh, at Microprose and. Um, MicroPros was going through, you know, the corporate side of things were were very um, fluid. Uh, MicroPros had been sold to Spectrum Holobyte, um, and then a different management team came in, and um, um, we, were, we were in some ways... Um, Kind of a second-class studio is for in the in the company because okay. uh, you know there's Falcon and all the, the Spectrum Holobyte pro- products um, and um, which it wasn't the worst thing but uh, it just felt like the the kind of stuff that we were were doing I mean, I kind of remember specifically that um, they were bringing out a Top Gun uh, game and Um, we are bringing out Civilization II and kind of all the focus was on Top Gun and um, you know that was maybe a harbinger of things to come and it just felt like um, might be time to uh, to do something different I think we all Remember the good old days of MicroProse when we were just a, a development studio and a smaller studio, and we worked on games. So um, we just seemed like a, a thing to do to yeah. uh, to kind of create a, a studio and uh, and kind of get back to focusing on games, and uh, uh, so that that happened and we we, uh, talked to one or two publishers and we uh, EA was interested in publishing what we did Um, I actually agreed to kind of help finish Magic even though we were starting uh, Firaxis and in a way that kind of eased the transition I think because we were you know kind of still working together or you know it it was kind of In their interest to to you know to work with us and in our interest to work with them and you know it could have been a difficult situation um, but it turned out uh, to to go quite smoothly. I mean we were very careful about not recruiting you know micro people and and not um, you know making new games and not trying to uh, you know uh, step on their toes and again in, in, a, in a way since since our studio was not the lead studio I think it was less of a less of an issue for them yeah. uh, so that's that's how Veraxis got started
1: yeah all right so was the three of you was the three of you and then I assumed you got some new
0: people quickly or were um, you guys just
1: prototyping for a while or? we gradually got
0: a I think we we at one point you know we kind of plateaued at eight people mm-hmm. uh, just at a certain point um, when you, uh, should I
1: also ask? You, when you yeah. signed on with EA, was it? Did you tell them up front that you wanted to make Gettysburg and Alpha Centauri right off the bat? Is that what they knew they were signed no, for?
0: No, I don't think we had, had those. Um, I don't think we had anything specific in terms of a product plan. All right, it was just uh, we're going to make titles and right. Wow. Okay. Yeah. And uh, yeah. So the first titles were Brian was working on Alpha Centauri, and I. Um, ended up working on Gettysburg. I'm not sure that's the first thing I started playing with. I don't remember what the first thing I started playing with was, but but it did you, Did you have to, even after you signed with them, did you guys still have to pitch
1: the projects? Or was it pretty open-ended for me? Um,
0: they were, certainly early on, they were pretty open to what we wanted to do. I mean, they, right. were, you know, I think they definitely Alpha Centauri was not going to be a problem. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, I don't remember pitching Gettysburg, but it was pretty, pretty brave of them to yeah. let us do that. Um, so yeah, I don't remember a whole lot of... Um, um, going back could, and forth. Yeah, going with, back and yeah. forth. Right. Were, so how quickly
1: did you get to the Gettysburg prototype then? Um, or how did that come about
0: basically? I remember talking with... I mean, Jeff was a big Civil War buff and I, mean, I had an, an interest in it and I I remember kind of talking talking it over. Um, it had been actually a game that I had wanted to do for, for a long time. Um, there's this um, book that I had when I was a kid, this American Heritage Civil War book which has all these really cool picture paintings, uh, almost you could it up and turn it into an rts uh right. for all the different battles and that that was kind of the inspiration for uh, for the game like uh what, you know, kind of this approach to uh, to battles not hex-based turn based but kind of real time with actually seeing the troops moving and you know all that kind of stuff you yeah know, it,
1: yeah maybe should actually back up to that like because you could have easily made it as a turn-based game Like, what made you decide right off the bat to make it as a
0: real? Yeah, there were there were already turn-based and hex-based games out there about uh, battles, Um, but it just felt like the kind of technology, the power, the horsepower had gotten to a point where we could could uh, could do this, and. Um, I think it'd always been the dream to you know bring it to life in a way right. that looked more realistic and you know, real time and et cetera but and at this the,
1: point Warcraft and Dune two would have come out right So you would have seen RTS. yeah
0: I think um, yes, probably the case. Um, so we were kind of going slightly more strategic than um, fewer clicks. Right. more time to think about things right. um, but yeah, definitely um drawing upon the r t s kind of idea you know click and move click and and give destinations um, breaking i mean the one of the kind of key design decisions was to break things up into scenarios mm-hmm. because um you know managing the entire battle would have been a total complete nightmare right. Uh, and so we we had we wanted to to divide it up uh, into into bite you know manageable chunks, the idea that you know maybe you can handle ten units, um, you know, finding that that number that that kind of made sense, and then figuring out what the scenarios would be to to support that. So um, that was kind of those were the some of the interesting design processes were were creating those scenarios and creating that that system that would work. Um, the things that I really remember of Gettysburg are, um, one was writing the AI, which, in my mind, is probably the best AI that I've written okay. ever. <laughs> um, it was uh, it took advantage of this idea of limited information, and you know the the other guys were in the woods; you couldn't see them, and they would try and sneak up, and you know, and do kind of cool things, and um, it just felt. A really uh, an interesting challenge to take on the the AI and the other thing that, that really strikes struck out for me was um, the first time I really wrote uh, multiplayer right and um, what that added to the game and how that kind of added a just a totally new dimension to the game and it was just very suitable that for both single-player and multiplayer so it worked you know, right. RTS works well in uh, multi I think we we might have supported more than two players I I believe I'm not sure, but um, just being introduced to multiplayer and which so, came like
1: uh, was the multiplayer early enough that
0: you were still designing the game? Not was
1: really. It, or was it more like I got it in at the end? Just yeah, like,
0: it was a like, fairly late addition. Okay. Um, and it, it it went very smoothly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, I, it kind of made me think multiplayer was easy, which kind of <laughs> bit me a little later on, but <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> um it was uh, it was a, it was great fun to uh, to to do the multiplayer in a very um, very loose kind of way. It was it was like a very loose you know. There's different ways to approach multiplayer. There's the, you know trying to sync up your random number generator so everything happens exactly That's the same. One, but um, well, this was more of a, a loose multiplayer, which uh, was a little easier to uh, to program was like one computer in charge basically and I I think that whatever I I think the I think not I think that what whatever you saw your guys doing was gospel was the truth and whatever the other person saw their guys doing so what what about when my guy shoots your guy um they would try to keep up but um, <laughs> okay. but, if, but if my guy was alive on my computer then he, he was alive, alive right right huh. right so I mean it like, wasn't it, it wasn't like stuff got out of out of sync out of sync but they, there might be a lag or there might be a little bit of uh-huh. you know so it, I think the rule was you're you're more concerned about your guys than their guys so huh. so um, I, I think that was the way it worked because we had no um, you know central server or anything like that it was just Two yeah. computers linked up. Um, uh, so so that was Yeah, yeah those are the
1: those were the early days of trying to figure <laughs> out I, mean, I, I never played Gettysburg multiplayer, but I remember I played El Centauri multiplayer and I could tell that the code was a little hairy because mm-hmm. basically it's like you'd play for a while and then the computer could be like, oh something is wrong, <laughs> out of sync, and then it basically it would do with just like one you would email it would automatically transfer mm-hmm. the whole save state to everyone, and we're like, right. "Okay, <laughs> take a break for a minute while we transfer everything over again." Okay, now you're in sync. Now we'll play for another couple of yeah. minutes until that.
0: That's a luxury pages. to be able to be able to do that. But um, yeah. uh, my other memory of Gettysburg is um, I went away on vacation uh-huh. um, toward pretty close towards the end of the project, and um, and Brian and Jason Coleman jumped in. And kind of redid a lot of the interface and the you know the reports and kind of the the graphics and the look of it because uh-huh. they I think they had been disturbed by it and <laughs> and they waited till I left the building then <laughs> they jumped in there and and they you know they made it a lot better it was, it was good but it was just kind of funny that they. Uh, they did, they they snuck in there and did that while I was while The type awake. of
1: story seems to come up a number of times.
0: in Some of Someone leaves uh, for a while, and, and things get changed. Um, huh? Were you happy with the changes they made? Yeah, yeah, I, I think I was. Okay. I think I was. And, uh, no, <laughs> I was. Yeah, yeah. It was it was just interesting the way it, it was done because uh, Jason had written kind of the the graphics engine that right. supported the game, and uh, and Brian had been playing it. And maybe saving up his his notes. frustrations yeah. or whatever. So, yeah, that happened.
1: <laughs> yeah. Now the thing I think that stinks out to me the most about Gettysburg was the dynamic campaign. Yes. You You, the, you alluded to this a little earlier, but you play a mission, and, and then depending on whether you won or lost, it would just kind of like yes. go in a different direction, and so right. the whole battle itself could work out very differently.
0: Yes. Yes. Um, well, th- yeah. That, I mean, that is kind of the fascination of Gettysburg of how. How easily it could have gone in a totally different direction and I right. think that that that's the, the uh, half of the nation you know laments just how close right. how close it was um, these little turning points um, so that the the camp the battle structure the branching battle kind of reflects that um, and it was a way to include the whole battle I mean that was, the challenge was how do you get the whole Battle of Gettysburg in there in these kind of manageable bite, bite-sized chunks, and still feel that you, the player, are telling the story, and, and it, you know, so, so we did um, did have this kind of branching scenario structure that allowed you know allowed it to go in, in different directions and use different parts of the battlefield and have a different have a different outcome. Mm-hmm. Um, then we also exposed the uh, the scenario files so the players could modify them or create okay. their own or things like that is a kind of a text file so I guess it was well we already done CIP CIP two, CIP so two, yeah. it was it was just another
1: Would the branches one. kind of come back together or
0: would it just well, spread out somewhat. I tree? mean it you know of course it could have gotten geometric on us there right. if, we, if we weren't careful so um, there was some met pruning of the tree right. but there were quite a few different outcomes possible yeah.
1: Yeah. Was there was the idea that you would just play through, and there wasn't really a loss condition? I don't remember exactly how that worked. Like, because theoretically, that's one of the nice things about doing it this way. Is like, well, if you lose the battle, if you lose the scenario, you just go to a different part of the, yeah. tr- the story, which right. is theoretically okay.
0: Yes. Now, at the end, there would be a, a you final know a result, final right? result, right? But it could be a different level. I mean, with each scenario, you got a you know decisive victory, marginal victory. You know, you got some sort of result but but in any case you could go on to whichever next the next scenario right. was appropriate and, and keep playing.
1: Yeah. And that's something a lot of dynamic campaigns have a problem with in RTS's of like knowing what's supposed to happen if you lose. Right, you just basically just bump them right. back to try it again, or like right game over, or like what you know? What are you supposed to do?
0: Yeah, I mean, we we gave you an option. You know, we we would send you on a different branch of the tree, whether you would take it or not, or play. Again. You know, I don't know how many players actually would accept a loss. You yeah. know, but uh, we provided that option because it actually was also necessary if you were playing the other side. You know, so it sure. was there anyway. Right. So we might as well hmm. uh, take you on that journey if you wanted to go on it. Right.
1: Right interesting cool all right um, so I guess do you want to talk something about El Centauri or like was that kind of just a parallel project
0: um, that was uh, the, that was definitely Brian's uh, project and um, uh, I had I didn't really have a lot of um, of input on there I think Brian had a lot of ideas about what he sure. what he wanted to do and uh, you know I think he he made a game that really Stands the test of time. Still yep. hear, you know, still hear about it quite a bit. So that was really uh, a real significant accomplishment. Yep. So, yeah.
1: All right, about to jump to sim golf, but of course right. we can't just jump over right <laughs> after the middle here. So at some right. point, then you started to, working on dinosaurs, or was there? Was um, a technology? To
0: f- um, let's see. Was there anything coming? Oh, I actually put together a uh, Waterloo prototype. Oh, okay. Um, based you know, obviously on the Gettysburg engine, but um, the, those, those kind of tactics are actually more interesting to me than kind of Civil War, the, the different formations and the kind of rock-paper-scissor aspect with, with cavalry and infantry and artillery in it. Um, so I, ha- I, I put together a, uh, a Waterloo game. Using a kind of a similar idea to, to the Gettysburg with the branching, um, branching scenarios and mm-hmm. those kind of things, just adding formations more being more important and, right. and, and different kind of things. Um, <coughs> um, we talked to EA and they were not um, super interested in, in publishing that game, so um, so we moved on. And um, I had. The post office put out this collection of dinosaur stamps, hmm. and um, I mean, I had always been interested in dinosaurs, as most kids were, and I thought it would be cool to make a dinosaur game. And uh, and there's this uh, actually there's this whole um, movement in dinosaur literature at the time where this uh, you know were dinosaurs hot-blooded or cold-blooded, mm-hmm. were they you know Boring or exciting, or you know, did did dinosaurs turn into chickens? Or you know, there's right. still there's still dinosaurs around, so there's a lot of kind of interesting questions being asked, asked in uh, in the dinosaur world, and it was uh, you know I thought it seemed to be a lot of interesting things that could be put into a dinosaur game, and I. Um, so the first prototype I did was more somewhat civish, kind of turn-based, and your your dinosaur herds kind of wander around the world, and your herbivores are eating things, and your carnivores are eating herbivores, and um, and it uh, it had issues um, like what were the other who were the other players? I mean, Civ is not interesting unless there are other players. Mm-hmm. So, what do they represent? Hmm, not sure. Um, I think the biggest problem was that it really doesn't correspond to your fantasy of dinosaur games. You know, okay. when you say it's a dinosaur game, you're imagining Tyrannosaurus Rexus's, uh growling and 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 you know uh, Velociraptors and all that, you know that kind of stuff. So it it. it It didn't really make it as a strategy game, Um, so uh, the next thing I did was 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 make it uh, an RTS. So it's like okay, we you know you want those resources to be fighting each other, and um, so I did um, uh, an RTS approach to that, which was um, interesting. Um, Making you know building nests. Kind of translating the RTS structure to dinosaurs, you know, a town center would become an, a nest, <laughs> mm-hmm. yep. and uh, you know, a barracks would become this. Um, what I found what, where that kind of fell down was there are there are no ranged dinosaurs, <laughs> uh, and, nice. and ranged combat is is kind of what keep, keeps RTSs from becoming a gigantic pile of right. of uh, fury with with without much clarity, so I mean I actually started inventing dinosaurs that could spit poison and <laughs> things like that and uh, right um, and It was it was okay But it felt uh, a little bit uh, far-fetched and right. um, so then my third approach was uh, to turn it into a card game and to me, that was the most the most successful. I think it really uh, had a lot of cool stuff. Like, it, you know, I kind of used some of the things I learned from doing the Magic Game, and you know, the idea of having your dinosaur and then being able to play the warm blood card card on the dinosaur, you know, or being able to play the the horns or the uh, the spiked tail, or you know, kind of being able to. I think part of the the fun and fantasy of dinosaur is d- dinosaurs is that. They mix and match in these really interesting cards. ways. You I know. thought
1: that when, when, it was, when you were working on uh, I remember you described it a bit also like Pokemon. Yeah. Is that right? Um, like in the sense of, like you're collecting these dinosaurs and. Anyway, go. Yeah,
0: on. yeah, I, I. Hmm, not sure about that. Um, but the. the um, This kind of collectibility and then, you know, the uh, asteroid card, and there, you know, which has this effect on the world, or. Right. Um, so there's a lot of fun. Did you have a way- specific dinosaur, and your cards were just
1: affecting that one, or you, you had multiple, multiple like, dinosaurs, no? You had a or- whole
0: whole panoply of dinosaurs, but you could then add, you, uh, could then a, them. Uh, you know, kind of okay. upgrade them with with additional. And you would face be- off some other gang of dinosaurs. Yes, it was it was very dual based, like Magic the Gathering, okay. that you'd you'd be uh, combating each other. Um, it had a. Um, the the hit points or lives dynamic was different that it was more like a pushing the the scale back and forth as opposed to kind of counting down your hit points or lives which how would you how would you win by getting to the end of the the scale there was was only
1: one score as opposed to each person has their own right
0: right which i think added a a little more tension and and uh i think it worked it worked it worked well um and the Combat was' I'm trying to remember it was I think it was fairly similar to magic, but maybe a little more a little little a little clearer I think but anyways it it um, definitely um, built on the on the, the magic combat system um, and you had your 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 lands or your your biomes that uh-huh. you would you would place.
1: Um, was it the same idea of the Mirror magic video game that you traveled through this like overall strategic game? Or, um, of that stuff over that,
0: there? that was not uh, there was uh, in, in this game there was a um, a, tr- a tree or a what was it called like um, you had to work your way to the top of this. so there's a bunch of dinosaurs in this uh, pyramid structure right and you would start at the bottom. And so you'd you'd duel against this dinosaur, and if you won, you'd move up to that spot. You'd duel up, you know, so you could kind of choose your path through the... An upside down pyramid? No, a right set up pyramid. So at the top was maybe the Tyrannosaurus. Oh, okay. And you could start at different places on the bottom? Like I'm trying to figure out that the
1: idea? Yeah,
0: and you could, and like, the higher up in the pyramid, the more powerful the dinosaurs were. So you were trying to build your deck to make it powerful enough to kind of take on the uh, okay, you're trying to go to the,
1: the new king of the dinosaurs, right, or right? King of the
0: dinosaur pyramid, yeah. Hill. Okay, um, and certain spots in the pyramid would be like a trading place where you could trade or you know get a bonus card or, or things like that. So it was slightly adventurous, but very laid out in this pyramid structure where you could you decide where you go on each step. You know, maybe I'm ready to go up to the next level and take on this dinosaur, or maybe I'm going to stay on the same level and um, take on one of the weaker dinosaurs. Um, with it, at, you know, at the end of every duel you'd collect some new cards and you could you know, buy and sell and trade them and things like that. So there was no real adventure game on a map or something like that. It was more getting to the top of the food chain, I think. That was the, right. the, the <laughs> that was the fantasy uh, of the game. which which um, Which seemed to work because the fun was in the The dueling the you know the center gravity was there
1: right Hmm. yeah I can imagine that working as an actual card game yeah it it
0: was it was pretty good I think um, it it perhaps borrowed a little too much from magic you know in terms of its mechanics and things like that and um, uh, yeah I think that was probably the one of the main reasons we didn't we didn't uh, pursue it uh, and we, we moved over to, uh, to sim golf right which was yeah. uh, uh, started as a was it
1: was it close to I mean did, who ultimately made the decision like
0: not to I think we did. Yeah. we did we um, did yeah I don't I mean it, I don't remember in, in hindsight exactly what the what the final straw was but yeah. um, I mean I think, one of
1: the one of the unfortunate things about dinosaurs is some of the usually, Fraxis actually talked about it fairly early. Yeah,
0: we did put, do a blog. So yeah. like, they were, you know, they were, so now I assume every
1: once in a while someone will ask you about the dinosaur game. Or, right, right. You know, like, was still floating around or whatever. Um, is there, I mean, do you think you can reflect on it at a high level? Because you do, when you start out on a project, you do kind of think thematically, right? Mm-hmm. You often talk yeah. about your, your, you know, you're thinking about that, that book or whatever which had these, you know, a drawing of war battle or like a book about technology which makes you want to make a game about Civ or whatever and like, and then kind of like the game mechanics fall out from there. Yeah. Um, at a high level it seems like, you you know, you're, uh, the way you make games and dinosaurs could fit together. Like, do you think there's something about that theme that sort of sabotaged it from the beginning without you realizing it or in a different world? Could you made a different decision and ended up with a fun
0: dinosaur game? I think I think um, the other thing that was happening at the time was um, 3D was happening. Mm-hmm. You know, I think there, um, Microsoft, somebody made a dinosaur game with actual 3D moving dinosaurs and you know that kind of stuff. And it was like it felt technologically like a card game might not all you know be reflective of the of the times. Was, okay. You know, you know. Um I mean we, we thought about you know you played your card and a 3D dinosaur popped up or something you know, trying to make it feel contemporary but I think there's also that kind of sense that it might technologically feel like it was up to the you know standards of that of that time. Uh, I mean it's interesting you know uh, you mentioned uh, that card game pokemon no the, the other magic that, or... no the the Hearthstone. <laughs> stone <Hearthstone>, thank you <laughs> uh they clearly put a lot of presentation sure. work into it so yeah. it you know so it didn't feel uh like just like like just a card game it was like you know very very well you know i think that that's kind of our our, our sense was that it technologically, didn't hmm. maybe feel like a contemporary game, and yeah, have to figure I mean, out a way to do that ten
1: years ago, you could have, ten years before you could have definitely made yeah. just a game yeah. like that, and that would have been
0: fine. Right, right. Yeah, it was in time when we we're just learning to do more and more with 3D and, and stuff like that. So, um, and that was not our strength at at I mean, We didn't have you know the engines, uh, no. off the shelf engines, and things like that to work with. So, we were. Um, I'm trying to think when I think we made the. When do we make the leap to uh, 3D? Pirates, right? Pirate, yeah, the that was the that was the that was first the first 3D game. Um, uh, I remember. It
1: was still a few years off of that point. so yeah.
0: I remember um, the debate about whether it should <laughs> be d or 2D. 3D. Yeah, I remember the <laughs> debates too. Um. So yeah, so we were not really. Uh, that was not one of our strengths. Huh. To be able to do three D stuff.
1: But do you don't think there's anything th- uh, specifically about the dinosaur theme that makes it a, a tricky, a
0: trickier game than you'd expect to make? Um, I think. Well, any any good game topic is going to bring to mind these images of what you know yeah. snippets of gameplay, and. Um, n- it's hard you know it doesn't fit super well into um, any I mean the the one genre or one of the genres I didn't try was kind of like first-person first-person shooter (laughs) Uh, which could be another way of expressing your dinosaurishness Um, but again um, without ranged without you know some of those elements the, the gameplay could be somewhat limited yeah. um, so uh, it's I mean the other thing I looked at was the um, there's this guy that writes, down, you know, kind of dinosaurs and humans in the same world and right, the sure. humans fly Does on the dinosaurs. yeah. Uh, you know, that could have been another approach to bring in more kind of gameplay uh, possibilities but um, I don't know. I, 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 I'm not willing to accept that dinosaurs are inherently ungameable, right? But there's, there's challenges, I guess, that that go along with. with yeah,
1: that. I mean, it seems like kind of one thing that makes dinosaurs interesting in general is just evolution, right? It yeah, leads down these different paths, and that's the scale makes it tricky. You know,
0: as a, well, as it, I think it the, actually game. the card game. Um, uh, tried to represent that to a certain extent with the, you know, with the cards that you, you could play to enhance. Yeah, area. right. So, uh, I, th- I thought that was actually fairly um, well. Actually, all the prototypes that I made had that idea of evolution or them getting better and you know more powerful in interesting ways. Um, but yeah, it's it's. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I, I hope somebody does it someday. <laughs> yeah. Well,
1: we'll see. We'll see. Um, okay. Cool. So, and then, and I remember. what I remember was, you know, the dinosaur prototype was going on for a long time. because so at this time I was working on Civ three?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and you know, people are like, well, he, it's now it's an RTS, <laughs> now it's a card game, and everyone's like, what's going on? And then suddenly people are like, know, I've, Sid's. I guess he's golfing a lot. you're like, seen, he's got a. But he got a bag of golf clubs in his office. And like I he's going golfing a bunch. And like, what's up mm-hmm. with that? And then,
0: um, I, um, I'm not sure exactly what happened. Um, I, I think there were these concerns about the dinosaur game that that made it not unreasonable to consider something different. Right. Um, why it was golf? I'm not 100 sure. I mean, I. I played some golf I and mean, it wasn't like at a time when I um, got super excited about golf. But I, I think the the idea of designing a golf course mm-hmm. was a twist that was intriguing to me. I think that it was like, I mean, it's always trying to do something a little bit unexplored or a little bit new that is, you know, fascinating about about making a game. So... The idea of designing a golf course was, um, and I probably had, you know, uh, again, you, you you research things a little bit, and you find there's um, there's these famous golf course architects, and there's, you know, like Pete Dye was out there doing these wild and crazy golf courses, and uh, so it felt like there was some some kind of meat and you know something interesting about the process of designing a golf course, and. Um, the sim you know sim city sim there that that kind of type of thing where you right. you build something from scratch you know that theres civilization is there there's there's games um, where that that really works well and I think that you know you could you could uh, <clears throat> you could have that aspect of creating something you know that you had personally designed and was your own creation so um, that was really the focus was a game about designing uh, what, are the, what are the challenges of designing a golf course? And, um, and it was, you know, we, we talked a little bit earlier about how do you evaluate something right. like that is subjective. And that was part of the challenge of, of the game, one of the fun things about the game. And, and um, I remember one of our, uh, uh, somebody that uh, Jeff knew um, was a golf pro. And he came in and like I asked him the question. Well, what, what makes a good golf hole, you know? And um, he said, well, you know, um, you have to be able to get a good, you know, good score on it. And I said, well, um, then why isn't you know the green shaped like a funnel so the ball <laughs> <laughs> goes in? And um, and really, there was no, you know. It wasn't a question that was thought about a lot. Right. You know, I was looking for like the, the secret to uh-huh. a great golf hole, and um, and there, it, it, it wasn't something that I guess golf pros thought a about, lot, yeah. about a lot. were on the other side <laughs> of the, the battle, I guess. <laughs> right, right. <there. laughs> so, um, so that was kind of the fun of trying to figure out how do you. How do you evaluate a golf? I mean, there's some some kind of low hanging fruit in terms of you know is it does it have beautiful there were things you could decorate your golf holes with, mm-hmm. and um, and we came up with these metrics like uh, we would we would record whether it required you to use like every club in your bag or a variety of of clubs. But the fundamental mechanic mm-hmm. was. Um, we we, your golf course would be played um, by automatically by four different types of players like an average player a player that uh, could hit the ball longer than the average player a player that was more accurate than the average player and a player that could shape their shots more accurate better than the average player okay and we would uh, record how how the difference between the average player's score and these other players' score. Okay. So And and the more that it your your course rewarded those skills, the more, the better your hole was. The larger so, deviation there yeah, is between was a the good different thing, right. the types so, of people. Yeah. Uh, your yeah. hole kind of would reward the player that had these skills versus the player that didn't have these skills. Um, and that was that was our our kind of fundamental uh, metric for for evaluating your 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 holes now. I mean the game was that was part of it. I mean part of and part of the fun was just laying them out and making them interesting and different unique but if you wanted to kind of get into the Mm-hmm. The mechanics and the you know play it competitively. Uh, that yeah. was that was what we were looking at, and it would. Were you
1: explicit about that when you finished your hole? It would show you, it you, would show and you drivers, like four scores. And
0: yes, it would show you the average scores of the different kinds of players, and, and sh- kind of show you how that would t- turn into a, a course rating. Uh, and it was kind of funny because you would um, like say the average player would hit their drives. Two hundred yards, and the and the long player would hit them two hundred fifty yards. So like, at at two hundred twenty five yards, you'd build this hill. Oh yeah. yeah. So like, <laughs> <laughs> the uh, the average player's ball would roll backwards, right. but the, the long hitter would their ball would roll <laughs> forwards. And you know you'd curve curve your holes to reward the player that could shake their shot. So you would, you know you you do some fairly you know I think reasonable things to to kind of reward. The skills that the the, the game uh, right. game was uh, hmm. checking, and
1: yeah, it's, a, it's almost a bit of sort of a, like a commentary on what it is to make games in general that are trying to hit multiple mm-hmm. types of players, right? Yeah, like Civ yeah. has such a variety of people approach that game in so many different ways. Yes,
0: so. the, definitely the different play styles and different victory conditions mm-hmm. are you know fundamental to to Civ, um, but I mean in Sim Golf you could play for quality of your holes, you could play for the beauty of your course, you could play for the creativity. I mean, you could play it in, you know, as in sim games, you could play it, you know, in, in different ways. And um, we then kind of, you know, the, as you looked at the game, it was like, well, I'd like to play my course too, you know. Mm-hmm. So we added the ability to play um, play the course. Right. Not in, I mean, there were other golf games there with the first person perspective. Pers- pers- right. You know, we didn't, didn't really want to go to to that level of um, you know creating a whole new graphics engine and things like that but you were playing kind of on again on the the strategic level deciding where you wanted to aim and um, and it, it was it was kind of fun to play the course that you had designed um, we built this really fun mechanic in where like if you're if you hit a bad shot you're your, like anger number would go <laughs> up <laughs> so you had to kind of manage your right. psychology you know right right took so over I, too
1: many risky I, shots right so like, kind of like
0: okay you know my guy is angry so i'm going to take a real safe shot <laughs> and then he'd be happy again you know so you had to kind of manage your your player psychology right um which was i don't think that was had been done in any other golf yeah. games i think that was a a nice twist on huh. on golf and then we um we added, we you know, you as you designed, you'd have people playing the game, and um, they would comment a little bit to kind of reinforce, you know, the, oh, this this hole is look at that lovely flowers over there, or um, this hole's cool because it rewards my you know my accuracy, or uh, so that the guys would be talking, and um, we <laughs> we added this system where they um, they would also be going through like a, a story script. Okay. Um, maybe one guy's trying to sell the other guy some life insurance <laughs> or something. And, and depending on how much fun they were having, you know, the story would go in a good direction. Oh, or a really? bad direction, or, oh, um, funny. So there was a lot of little Is the things going on. going to happen? Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, so, you're just... Uh, when you're a game designer you're you're god you know you can put put whatever you want in there right and um i remember you guys guys stuck
1: some kind of like semi-celebrity type character or like uh well
0: celebrities but not by name. right yeah we we had um we had famous golfers in there um where we had adjusted their names a little bit so you uh you could figure out who they were but we didn't we couldn't use their actual names um and you could challenge some of the the famous golfers in a tournament and things like that. And uh, if you, you know, if you, as as a player, if you wanted to actually play, play through the course, yeah. you could have them come to your course and play. Now, when you when
1: you started out, was there was there like a random uh, map? Yeah. That because otherwise, it just it's not the same each time. There were certain right. obstacles you yeah. had to deal with. Yeah,
0: there was a random map and elevations and lakes and things like that, so that you would want to integrate them into your into your course. Oh, okay.
1: Was there a tycoon aspect of it, like a good good golf course mm. won't generate this much money, which will help you build it, or was it just kind of? I don't
0: think so. Wrong? I don't think so, but that's a good question. I mean, I so I kind know. of
1: wonder what the loop is. Like, do you just you just design the whole thing and then you see what your score is, or you kind of just keep tweaking it until you're hmm. happy
0: with it? You know, that's a good. I don't remember. <laughs> it it sounds vaguely familiar. That you you know you might have even started with like a six hole course sure. and yeah. then built your because building an eighteen hole course was pretty much. Pretty significant endeavor, yeah. um, but I don't—I don't remember whether right. <laughs> I have to yeah, yeah. look that up. Nope. I don't recall. I mean, it certainly could have. It, I, I vaguely remember some screens, <laughs> but <laughs> seems like it makes sense. <laughs> it was a long time ago. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, it was—it was. It was a, I mean, all games—they were all fun to make. I, I think we—you know—we—we we were in the EA ecosystem, and Sim The Sims was really. Um, Popular at the time and still mm-hmm. is, um, and uh, so we were. Actually, at one point, we we're going to be part of the Sims world, but kind of got nudged over into the Sim world. Right. Um, yeah. But um, important distinction. There for, <laughs> yes. You know. Yeah. Um, so that was that was that was uh, fine. Although there had been a Sim golf before. Oh really? Which was more I of the kind of it. straight ahead, you yeah. the golfer thing, but. There didn't seem to be a whole lot of confusion, so... Yeah. That was that.
1: that. (laughs) So Pirates was next, right? Yes. And uh, I guess that's kind of interesting at another level, (laughs) because this is is the first time you've remade a game, or made a sequel, even in general?
0: Yes, that I personally had made it. Yeah, we had... um, Ryan had done Civ 2, of course, but... um, yes we were what was going on there stuff stuff was going. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) yeah we we had I think Civ 2 had been successful and um, and we always get people asking you know when are you going to do another XYZ and you know Civ railroad and and Pirates were the games that people typically um, right. asked for, and, and now Elf Centauri. Um <clears throat> And so it it seemed like a good idea. I um, the I remember we had the three D, two D discussions, and I remember I was kind of for a long time in the two D camp. I said, "This three D is a flash in the pan. It's not gonna. <laughs> it's not gonna. It's not gonna work out. It's not gonna. You know. It's not gonna stick." Um, but the development started. I was not involved with the early development of the game. Um, a couple of other other designers were doing were working on it, and um, the weird the weird thing was um, one Fourth of July weekend, I kind of they had gotten to a certain point and. Um, just didn't feel like it was coming together in a really coherent way or there were issues or for some reason I I kinda grabbed the different pieces of it bit the bullet on 3D and did a version of the ship battle right. uh, which um, um, was fun you know my, my, my eyes were open to the wonders of 3D and everything that you could do and uh, and that that was turned out to be you know, fun, you know, kind of a so, that was really the the beginning of kind of rethinking all the pieces in a in kind of a three D ish way in a uh, story um, storytelling way, uh, the the sword fighting kind of taking advantage of three D and and and. Anim, you know, model animation and, and, and cutscenes and things like that to really take a take a um, uh, do a game that was clearly needed. You know, right. I mean, with a sequel, it's always a question: of, Well, why do we need a sequel to this game? Uh, I think with with uh, Pirates. Um, it looked so much better, it played so much, you know, it, there was just enough new technology, enough new ideas to really justify why the world needed an update to the original Pirates game. And um, it was fun, it was fun for me, you know, at that point I kind of took over uh, leading the design and um, reimagining a lot of the things we did in the original Pirates and, and, and trying to identify what worked and, and keep those things. and. And figure out what um, you know was not as not as su- successful, and um, find things to replace that or change that. Uh, and it was it, it was cool just to be able to show the player all these things you had to kind of imagine in the original. You know, in the original we had this brand new groundbreaking technology where we could put up a picture with your menu and kind of illustrate what was going on. Now we could do a whole uh, scene in the, in the tavern with all different characters and things like that or you know, scene with the governor or uh, bring the sword fights to life with swinging on ropes and all sorts of sending your opponent flying into the water and you know, right. just kind of um, bring it to life in a way that we, that we couldn't, uh, couldn't do before. So it um but it was based in many ways on the original I mean it, it was certainly true to the original in a lot of ways but it kind of allowed us to to flesh out the story a little more and um uh cool intro sequence where you're you know you you, you develop this kind of nemesis character at the very beginning that you're 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 kind of chasing throughout the game and um very, um, you know, a lot of cinematic and movie-ish elements that we that we didn't really explore in other games. We could we could play with here, right? And um, so it was, it was fun to kind of deploy all that kind of stuff into into pirates. Um,
1: well, but, I, I mm-hmm. remember the so I remember that prototype you're talking about, that you made over mm-hmm. the Fourth of July, and I remember that it was a it was no one's really expecting it. You mm-hmm. kind of have this big surprise that you kind yeah of this, yes <laughs> by, like, almost nonchalantly. Oh, by the way, there's this thing on my user drive. You should check it out. Um, and um, and I think for a lot of people, it was it was nice because it was like even though it was very small, it was like immediately fun. Mm-hmm. But, you, but you were. It seemed like you were having fun with the physicality of it like remember the, the cannonballs would arc right and like where they actually were mattered right and mm-hmm. you even get these little details like the little guys would fly off the ship right bob on the barrel <laughs> and you'd pick them up if you sail as you sailed mm-hmm. around and mm-hmm. the ships would lean back and forth as you right. moved them around so um in many ways it was very much a like a polish demo like mm-hmm. the, the, the details mattered yeah, like even at that like even with that this little thing you made over a few days.
0: Yeah, I mean and the and the arcing of the cannonballs, whatever, it added that whole dimension of predicting where the other ship was gonna go and I mean a lot of the you know, a lot of the magic is in the details of, of how fast and how quickly it could turn and things like that and the different kinds of ships and you know, those are all not immediately obvious on the surface, but um, and, you know, as you play you, you realize that, that it just feels Right, and I mean things like the ship's leaning and all that is just easy stuff, you know. Just, I mean, I used to when I was a kid, I would sail on a sailboat, and then I just have a feel for what feels right about you know the way ships operate. And leaving a wake is kind of a cool aspect, you know, things like that. That were, right. um, Yeah, there was there was polish to it, and and I think gameplay to it. um, In You know, being able to kind of tackle that constrained space of the ship battle, uh, I think kind of illustrated maybe what the potential was, or what some of the things we want to focus more on could could be. Um, Yeah, it 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 was the first first step. I think you know, it kind of set the tone. Like the rest of the game, maybe should feel more like this. Right. And uh, um, so that that kind of led to the rest of the progression were you
1: using this were you using the engine that they were developing or did you I must have been I I, uh, worked on 3d yeah I must have been um, I'm gonna know that the game that was there didn't feel like the thing you made so you did something different right
0: yeah I I mean I used the assets um, but I mean I must have been playing with 3d before that in some form But um, but I used pieces that certainly existed for that Pirates game, but kind of brought them together in in a different way. Uh, yeah, yeah I, I must have been using our engine. Um, I'd have to guess, you know, sorry, I don't remember exactly, but I have to guess that up to that point, I was maybe playing around with 3D in some other space and sure. kind of already had the the basic tools and then uh, use them with the, with the pirates pieces that were, that were uh, available there. Right. Um, and that's always, that's been part of what's, what's been powerful about for is we have, you know, from Civ games, we got all these models of tanks and ships and buildings and, you know, all sorts of things that we can kind of plop into some new idea and bring it, you know, stand it up very quickly. Right. Um, and then with, with some imagination, you can imagine this is that or whatever, but um that's that's really kind of allows us very quickly to evaluate an idea, see what it might feel like, kind of what it might look like and and uh, so you know they had done a lot of uh, groundwork to put stuff together and and uh, I was able to kind of take that and run with it in a way
1: right. uh, Another thing that's coming in Pirates is this must, at this point this must be by far the largest team you had ever worked with.
0: Yes, yes. Um, It grew, it it definitely grew and um, I mean there's always the question of how to integrate this game code that I'm writing with the other stuff that's happening because I need the flexibility to change things quickly, you know, but on the other hand as stuff gets built it becomes more more rigid and, and more difficult to to work with so i um, I think I was working right in the game you know right in, in the game itself, but uh, pirates was kind of chunkable in a way that you know a sword fight a, a ship battle right, where I could scenes. probably prototype something and then hand it over in uh, the different scenes of the di- and the <laughs> A good part of it were kind of canned animations and just cool-looking shots that that I wouldn't really have to interact with a whole lot. So um, that made it uh, made it easier in some ways. But there was a yeah, I mean, working our first three D game, our first game with really uh, elaborate cutscenes and things like that in it. Um, so there were the, the team definitely had expanded, and you know the the artists had a lot of fun stuff to to yeah. do to when you to, when you talk about these cinematic
1: flourishes like how did these actually did you try to set the tone and then the, the artist did that work or were you working directly with the artists or were you trying to do that stuff yourself I,
0: I think they they got the tone yeah. uh, or defined the tone or I think it was pretty, pretty clear what the tone overall was uh, so they just took that and ran and ran with it and, you know I think they had a lot of fun with these characters and they you know, kind of bringing it, uh, bringing it to life. Uh, yeah, Are there a few, uh, there
1: were a couple of big differences with, uh, from the original. Some, yes. Some new things, like, uh, there is the
0: dancing. The dancing,
1: yeah. like, a <laughs> really interesting curveball for a lot of people But uh.
0: Yeah, that, my one kind of regret is there was actually a little bug in the dancing that made yeah, it a lot more difficult than it needed to be. And that on top of it being somewhat. What was the new bug? Work. Uh, the timing like she would kind of indicate what the next uh-huh. move was supposed to be and and but the timing was off, so you had a lot less time than huh. you were you're supposed to, to to have that I think which made which made it um, uh, a lot more difficult to I mean the mechanic was different to start with, you know not uh the most intuitive and then uh with the bug and I think it could be a frustration point. For for players, I, I had a hard time with it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I don't know if I, I fell victim to the bug, but I it was at a point where I wasn't quite sure if I was if I was even understanding what I should be doing to
0: to get yeah, the. You might have fallen victim to the bug, <laughs> which okay. is sad. It's it's sad. I assume that got fixed. It's just it, that it,
1: back back then you couldn't distribute
0: patches right. as then easily. It did get fixed, you know. But yeah, was, by that time it was a little bit too late. Um yeah that was definitely the area where I was trying to some trying something new yep. you know i I could try to take credit for guitar hero you know but, <laughs> uh, maybe maybe not right. um it yeah i mean it pirates was always about these mini game episodes right. within this larger story you know, and it seemed like a way to uh we covered, you know, ship battles. We we covered certain areas of the story with mini games, but we hadn't really covered the uh, the whole governor and governor's yeah. daughter part of the game with anything mini game wise. So, it, it, yeah, it was the, yeah, the nice thing about the dancing mini game is it filled in the social aspect of the game. Yeah, mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. yeah, as opposed
1: it, to not just another combat thing or something.
0: Right. Yeah. It was. It was that was the idea to try something something different, and uh, it, again, it was a cool. Cool programming challenge to sync up the music with the dancing, and and we you know one to figure out what a game about dancing would be, and uh, and then to <clears throat> technically kind of sync up the uh, sync up the music with uh, with with the with the animations and uh, uh, you know decide because uh, there was a pattern to it as well. You know you could right. kind of learn the patterns and things. So those again those kind of gameplay-ish aspects that. Uh, were fun to explore in that new and uh, new uh, setting, and uh, I think we took out the um, land battles, which never were
1: a uh, favorite part of the. Yeah, uh, I think and, you changed them to be turn based.
0: Did I? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Fine. Yeah. Uh, and we still didn't yeah. stick out. This. <laughs> Yeah, maybe. Uh, anyways, and, uh, and there was we, the sneaking game we added the sneaking game, which um, which it's always been. I don't know mazes and right. those kind of things have always been interesting to me. So yeah, um, the the sneaking out of the you know I, I thought that that worked fairly well. And then yeah. the tricky part uh, about
1: the sneaking game is: don't you have to get captured first, or
0: with um, a what? way of escaping? Yeah, if you get captured, you play the sneaking game to escape? And there might I think oh, it, sneak I think into you, a town I think you can also sneak, sneak in into as, town, as right, an I option see. that's one of the ways you can get into an uh, unfriendly town, town. Yeah. um and again the you know the the, the guards over the head and the <laughs> different kind of uh interesting animations and things that that were were fun about that but, Right. Uh, yeah it was it's one of the games that I have really warm memories of of i think it, it came came together without much of a struggle once we kind of set the course I guess every game has has its when I mean, it have this theory about the the valley of despair right. uh, about games that every game kind of has to go through some existential crisis <laughs> to before to it can, we, to get to the yeah. to the finish line and I think that kind of happened around the time of the 4th of July and uh, and from then on we were pretty much on a on a pretty good course yeah
1: Oh, what I remember is you guys hoovered up all of the artists <laughs> that, I, that I wanted for Civ Four. I, I, I just had to wait. I'm like, no, this game
0: keeps me need a lot of artists. There's, there's all this stuff we're doing. Like, I need some. Well, artists. it showed up on the screen. I think, I think you have to acknowledge that yeah. uh, the work the artist did did really show up on the screen. Yeah.
1: Uh, yeah, and it's it's also interesting to look back on it because especially with that initial. The initial prototype of the just the ship combat. Working. Mm-hmm. Did you, you did you hook that up to a controller right off the bat? Yeah, I, I think so. I feel like you did. Yeah, I think and so. And at the time, we just well, we weren't thinking of Fraxis as a console company, but like yeah. in retrospect, it almost seems like we should have fast tracked a console version mm-hmm. because yeah. great, I think it's just a great fit for a console. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. when you have a game that is driven, is, you know, right. essentially joystick-based. Yeah. Right? Which mm-hmm. is just something that doesn't exist on PC anymore. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Um, so, I think it eventually ended up on console. Yeah, yeah. It, there
1: was an Xbox version, and yeah. then there was, well, there was a tablet version mm-hmm. as well, um, which I haven't.
0: Mm, <laughs> yeah. not,
1: I think the console version is <laughs> one that probably makes the most sense, but leave it at that. Right, and, um... right, right. <laughs> All right, um... So I think after that you then you moved on to CivRev, I suppose, right?
0: Um, I don't remember if there was intermediate stuff. We went was railroads. It was not was it railroads, railroad. and
1: then CivRev? Good Rev question. Or Civ and then railroads.
0: Uh, actually, I think it was railroads and then Sivrev because I, I kind of yeah, remember, I think that's right. I yeah, right. I kind of remember moving on to CivRev. From railroads, uh, yeah, railroads. Hmm. Hmm. I guess we were on a, uh, a sequel. Yeah. sequel <laughs> kick at that point.
1: Re- redoing your career, yeah. Pirates to railroads to silver. Although you, probably, you didn't think of it at the time that way, for the kind of worked out. I though.
0: guess. Well, I guess what happened was, I mean, things were moving also with the rights to games at that time. I'm trying right. to. Because, because now you had a relationship with right with Atari um, or infograms with, with, or whatever that in, is. Yeah, Hasbro slash, which then turned into infogram right? I,
1: I guess they should we kind of jumped over Civ 3 and Civ 4, yeah. which is totally fine. But mm-hmm. I, I realized I did also want to ask, like, when you left MicroProse, did you feel like I'll never deal with Civ again, or did you feel like? You know, the industry's crazy, it might end up coming back to us. What was your what did, was your feeling? There,
0: were, there was really no expectation that we would meet up with Civ again. Um, I mean, I think Alpha Centauri was, uh, you know, kind of a new twist on turn-based, which was mm-hmm. something we enjoyed doing. But um, I, mean, I think you can probably appreciate that when you finish a Civ game, going back to it is not <laughs> the, the, the uppermost in your mind, sure. you know. So it, it didn't feel like a super loss that we would not be doing any more Civ games. I think, right. uh, you know, with with the original Civ and Civ 2, there was a feeling that we had, you know, made our statement, and um, especially with Civ 2 and the modding aspects and all that kind of stuff, I think there was a feeling that that was a pretty complete uh game yep. uh, statement of civilization so uh, we were we were perfectly happy to um, to move on and again it, the sequels were not like the thing to do uh, necessarily in those days um, you know we kind of watched with a little bit of amusement as call the power came out and right different lawsuits started flying around and um, so it was in a way we're like we're glad we're not we're, we're, we're not in the middle of that, you know. Did different um,
1: come to you guys? Or is that how that came about eventually for some? Um,
0: well, um, somehow well I guess somehow they acquired well Hasbro, Hasbro was in the picture, right and they acquired the assets, I guess, of Michael Pros. Okay. When things started to um, not be as great, and and we ended up with Hasbro. After I mean, Pirates was published by Hasbro, so Sim Golf was our last EA, EA title. Yeah. Um, so we ended up kind of reunited with all the. Wait, um, wait but Sith
1: 3 was Infogrames, not Hasbro.
0: In yeah, Pirates was. During the transition, no, Pirates was during the tra- transition to uh, Take-Two, but right. um, Infogram bought the Hasbro Digital business stuff or, or Right, yeah, right. Okay. So Hasbro decided they didn't want to be in the digital space okay. and, and Infogram took took over. Um, but
1: Hasbro it, came to you guys before that happened for some reason Yes. Okay. Yes.
0: They maybe
1: <laughs> <laughs> it was a long time ago it was confusing it, yeah
0: i was i was not on that side of the company i was right yeah yeah um but yeah there stuff flooded around and and lawsuits happened and and you know kind of got all resolved and yeah. then we then we were back in in the picture you know
1: yeah it's just interesting historically because civ now is such a stable franchise yes like yeah, it kind of comes out Every so many years, and you kind of right. then you get the first expansion pack, the second <laughs> expansion back and then you start working on the next version. And right. you know, like who knows how long they'll keep going? But it's <laughs> it's a system yeah. now. But back then, there was Not, nothing like this. There, right. You could have easily one small legal decision could have been made, and none of this would have happened. Yes, right,
0: very definitely. I mean, it was it, yes. We were we had no expectation that we'd be making any more Civ games, and um, uh, just. Between where we ended up publishing-wise and where the rights ended up publishing-wise, um, it, it, it just the way things worked out, you know, the world world is different now than it, than it was back then. And I I know that when we um, when we eventually um, were purchased by Take Two, they made two individual purchases. One was. The studio, practice Studio, and right. separately the rights to certain games. So, right, um, you know, they were in to stitch inst- it back together. Yeah, they were instrumental in kind of putting Humpty Dumpty back together right. again. Yeah. Um. Uh, just so
1: somewhat unlikely if you can think of various other creators who made a game and then
0: moved on and then yeah just... Well, we we like to think that the community was actually a part of that yep. You know that they would look at some of these other civ type games and you know say well It's it's fine, but it's not quite you know, right that we're like the, the legal the legitimate the real one yeah. heirs to the throne right. um, and uh there was some, there was like a, a momentum, you know, to kind of make that happen again, which, which made sense. So, um, um, with, I mean, with Hasbro, we had actually pretty much the rights to all of the the, the Civ titles. I mean, I'm sorry, the, the Microprose titles. Yeah. Um, you know, which eventually led led to XCOM and right. other other things like that. But Rail, Pirates and then Railroads was the next one that we that yeah. we picked up on. And um, so it's kind of like railroad started because now you had
1: access to it, right? So it made sense to just start working on it. Better do
0: it quickly before things <laughs> change <laughs> Before something else happens. Um, and it was one of the games, one of the couple of games that was most really requested by yep. uh, by the people we talked to. And it it was a game that certainly could benefit from 3D and you know all the more modern graphics things that you know when we look back on the original railroads, it's kind of Embarrassing to see the the 16 colors or the four color versions or whatever Um, Quaint and cute in a way, but uh, but definitely uh, ripe for uh, an upgrade Um, I did so how did you how did
1: you start the remake of uh, well? What did you want to do with it?
0: I I wanted it to feel like a 3d model railroad, you know be able to run and jump on the train, go over the bridges, through the tunnel. You're just a cool place to hang out um, and experience, uh, along with the gameplay. You know of, of 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 the economics and things like that. But primarily, bring the the visual fun of it up to you know a much higher level. And so we got away from uh, the squares and everything, and you could mm-hmm. pretty much freeform your track and things like that. And um it it uh, the terrain was the terrain was much more interesting and, and part of the challenge was figuring out how to you know minimize your grades and things like that. Um, so it was kind of interesting. Um I, I kind of as, as I remember, I kind of um about two thirds of the way through Kind of handed it over to um, the team and slid over to um, Mm CivRev. What was I kind of done? What I could do and um, the the non turn the non squarishness or the the kind of analogishness of it versus was um, kind of a challenge. Um and I remember there was issues with how many tracks you could pull into a station and um the whole routing and you know, there were there were just some some things that were challenging about that approach that um I think never fully got got resolved. And I think I oh, think it was a cool game but there there were some um uh, some challenges in terms of kind of the clarity of what the consequences or the effects of what you were doing, you know bringing another tra- track into the station or connecting these tracks here or whatever it was um,
1: was, it not animal- quite, was it not quite one-to-one as you wanted it to
0: be or it just it was um, I mean with with the squares, you know It was clear when tracks would meet when yep. the switch would appear, you know all the things like that and with the kind of free-form track uh, creating things. It was, it was, I think, a little harder to anticipate what the the actual um, result would be, result would be of, you know, in, in terms yeah. of where trains could pass or where they could meet or where, where they have to wait, things like that. Um, so...
1: Was the idea that the, the team would carry on from you and solve those
0: issues, or...? I mean, I know you all yes said, <laughs> like, here I wash my hands <laughs> I wash my hands of these problems well I know uh, I remember you talking
1: before about how you really you feel like you do your best work at the beginning and at the end of a project mm-hmm. so it's interesting that you know you had a project where you didn't get that last phase right
0: yeah it was yes I think um, I don't I'm not sure the, what, whether there was much I could have contributed I, I, you know I don't, I don't I don't I don't think so um there were these one or two kind of inherent things that weren't, you know, weren't weren't fatal, but they they caused certain things to be a little more, you know more difficult than than perhaps uh, they they needed to be, you know. As um, as I recall, because PopCap had done you know Railroad Tycoon two or three or a series right. of them, which kind of stuck, I think, with this more digital, you know. Tile-based world, right? And um, so we were kind of breaking new ground with the with the uh, the more freeform stuff. And I think
1: oh yeah, we, I forgot about that because Railroad Tycoon actually did have sequels. Yeah. So not, you, you know, you guys, you weren't just totally right,
0: you know, right? Jumping back to something that hadn't been explored again. Um, and we actually merged with Pop, PopCap, so at a certain point, so not it was
1: PopCap Top, Pop PopCap. Pop. Pop top. top.
0: Okay. Pop. pop
1: cap is pickle.
0: Okay. Sorry. Right.
1: That's yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> I was. Yeah, I was, looking I was like, like. Wait. Wait a minute. Fine. All right. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. That's right.
0: Um. But yeah, there was a. Again, interesting, evolution of how the how, how the different you know, licenses floated around there. But yeah, there was I mean, that. That was kind of an indication of the popularity of Rower Tycoon, is it was like, uh, another company wanted to continue it and. and right it's also an indication of you know how our company did or did not value it and you know was was looking for cash at the time and and kind of sold it off but um, but yeah so that was I kind of slid over to uh, civilization revolution at that time and uh, because there was not much I could do with with railroads and uh, I was kind of ready to go with this this new, this new idea. Basically, we were interested in getting into the console world with the, with the Xbox and the PlayStation. They, you right. know, power-wise, they had gotten to a point where we could um, do, you know, fully featured, cool games on those platforms. Right. And um, and we were all kind of playing console games at the time. It was a time when. There were a bunch of cool games on console. They were getting to be more, you know, some of them were strategy-ish or more, you know, more more depth and things like that. And it felt like a, an opportune time to stick our toe into the, into the console market. And I had um, always um, been interested in doing a version of Civ that was not kind of getting more more elaborate, more, you know, I think with Civ 1 to Civ 2 to Civ 3, you could see the evolution and the growth and the, right. you know, the adding of new systems and things like that. And um, not everybody was ready to take on, you know, those challenges.
2: Right.
0: And um, so that was kind of the goal of Civ, Civ Revolution was to uh, create kind of a, the All the fun of civilization in an evening
2: mm-hmm.
0: um, you know the the interesting decisions without uh you know all of the uh, the nuances and things like that so um, uh, that was a another fun development um, uh, there are a lot of what I remember kind of as what stands out to me about the CivRev development is we um about halfway through, we we put together this kind of weekly yep. get together and talk about design meeting, which really um, was instrumental in in highlighting what was and was not working. You know, come up with ideas for fixing things. Um, that was that was very very valuable. I don't know if Frankenstein evolved from that or whatever, but um, I think it was the it was, same
1: it was the same theory. Yeah, for listeners, so Frankenstein was a group of. Uh, uh, basically a pri- private beta group for Civ four, which I think continued for Civ five and Civ six mm-hmm. and like kinda getting getting feedback from some of the best players. And and yeah, I remember the meetings you had for Civ Rev. I sat in on a few of them and like, yeah. it seemed like it was really put you in a good place for doing mm-hmm. iterations. Yeah. Based off of like you know, direct player feedback and experience. Right. You know. Right. It's like whatever, you know. And, you know, Jake would have a thought about this thing he liked or didn't like, and then you would change it, and you'd touch, mm-hmm. talk about it the next week or whatever, yeah. right? Yeah. And uh, um, seemed to work really well.
0: Yeah, and I thought it was fun to kind of revisit Siv, and now with this hindsight of a couple, uh, you know, a couple of iterations and feedback from players, and look at things like you know the the the, the growth issue of you know the how the game be- can become kind of overwhelming towards the end and how you would deal mm-hmm. with that. Um, really bringing the different victory conditions to life, you know. Comments about the original Civil War, you know, it's really just a domination game, you know. It's right. it, it's called Civilization but it's really war, 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 you know. Uh, t- trying to deal, make some of the other uh, victory conditions interesting and fun and, and especially the ability to kind of really pivot uh, you know, so we weren't locked into one of the, one of the paths. Um, yeah. The idea of upgrade and c- combining units together into armies, and ways of, again, kind of um, letting the game grow without letting the game grow. You know, in a way that that, that you, you had this real sense of progress, but you could combine your units together into armies, so you weren't kind of overwhelmed with the number of units and uh, different ways of of kind of achieving that goal of an evening, you know, civilization in an evening. Right. And uh, so that was that was a, a cool design challenge. I think. Yeah, I,
1: I think it's interesting because the, the console part of the, of Civ Rev, I think is actually a bit of a, of a red herring, but mm-hmm. what the, makes the game interesting, I mean, obviously that was your starting point. I was like, we're going to make Civ for a console, but um, what made it interesting is you kind of used that as an excuse to kind of like... <laughs> Right size the scope of the game.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Like to some sense, the scope of a Civ game is just kind of like we're stuck with what history told you know tells mm-hmm. us, or right. what people are used to. <laughs> They're used to a 500 turn game, right, where you go through all these technologies, and you have ancient units, and then you have classical units, and then you have, um, you know, then you have knights, and then you have cannons, and then you have this, and then and it just it just takes a long time, right? And I don't think anyone would say that like. The ideal gameplay experiences that enormous 500 turn.
0: Oh game. no, you are wrong.
1: There are many. There
0: are many. Oh, I know. People I know. I, know. Are...
1: I should back up. I know those people very
0: well. But people, at any rate, people play the epic map, that, and the epic map is not. Oh, I know. Game. I know. We added the marathon mode
1: in Civ 4 for people but, who couldn't get enough. But like, go on. Go on. You so know, on. at a high level, if if you were designing the game in the abstract, you maybe wouldn't make it quite so big. And it felt like with Civ Rev, you got a chance to kind of like decide at the beginning, I want the game to be this long. Yes, and
0: that was the goal.
1: And I'm going to design backwards from there. Yes. Right? Like, I'm, I'm, I'm going to have it fit this specific, it's, the map's only going to be so big, because I know if I make it much bigger, then it's going to balloon past that. Right. And it had these interesting ramifications, because yeah, the army system in Civ Rev is really interesting, and it's also something that I don't think could work. In a traditional Civ game, because you just have so many more units, and it would just get it would mm-hmm. it would have all these ramifications that would mess with the game's balance. Whereas if you have a smaller game where you only have so many units, it's okay to combine them in that way.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Um, so that's that's what that was. That's what struck me about Civ Rev.
0: Yeah, it was it was developed totally on the PC, and we could have flipped a switch right. and turned it into a PC game. Yeah. But there was definitely the idea that we had. The PC franchise, which was one thing, and yeah. we, we didn't want to confuse the issue, um, and, uh, and so putting it on consoles was uh, was uh, uh, essentially a kind of a, a marketing decision or a product-based yeah. decision, not a platform decision. But um, we we use this game core concept, I think, for the first time, which was really powerful in that we could. Um, Port it to the PlayStation and the uh, Xbox and the and the DS, um, and then tablets and, eventually. Tablets and then, yeah, eventually tablets and other other yeah. places because the the game logic was was isolated from right. the, all the other things, um, which allowed me to develop it on the PC and and uh, and test it and everything. Um, so that that actually had the had had the effects of yeah, making it easily portable to tablets and so it's still still alive yeah. uh, many, many years later. Uh, yeah, I mean,
1: I, I think it's kind of too bad you guys haven't ever released a PC version of it because it is a different... It, it doesn't necessarily compete with the traditional Civ game, right? It's really kind of for a different audience. I mean, I get why. Civ is such a big thing, you wouldn't ever want to mess with it or confuse right. people. So it's like you right. don't want to mess with the, the big franchise. Right. But like, right. there's no reason why it couldn't be on the PC. You know, um, call it something else right. <laughs> <laughs> come up with this different history game
0: Clash of Empires yeah. <laughs> um, I, the, again my, my, my strongest memory of that, of working on that game was um, about halfway through I was pretty much done and, and I said like, okay now it's time to tackle multiplayer uh-huh. and I spent months and months and months <laughs> trying to get the last out-of-sync error <laughs> squeezed out of that game. I mean, I it was just a struggle because um, it was it was designed around this paradigm where both systems yep. were 100% in phase and the random number generators uh, ran in sync and um, just one little thing yep. would, you, you know, would would totally send them out of sync and uh, so I I was like I, I spent months testing testing and squeezing through the code and figuring out where they got out of sync and um, it was you know I guess in the end it was worth it to, to have multiplayer but uh, that was a a significant part of my time was involved in in getting the multiplayer to to work you know so my my good experience at Gettysburg was uh, Balanced out by the, the struggle <laughs> that we had on and, and the Civ Revolution, to Yeah, I mean to
1: that, that's to make a Civ it 4, multiplayer Civ Four worked using the same system, and like it's tough. Yeah, you, you have to be a hundred percent. Ninety nine percent yeah. is not is not going to get there. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's rough.
0: Yeah, I think um, it was uh, a lot of uh, fun. I mean, the, the leader character is kind of popping up at the bottom of the screen, and your advisors, mm-hmm. and there was. There was an, a, definitely an attempt to make civilization less, um, less imposing, less, you know, kind of scary. Make it make it a uh, accessible. Make yeah. it more accessible. And I think that uh, people, some people like that, and you know, other other people felt it kind of ran contrary to the right. the idea of what was cool about the original game, which was you know, it's it's grounding in history and and kind of the. The, the idea that you could could uh, really take it seriously, and so so you know, I've, been, I've certainly run into people who you know that's their favorite Sid, and right. I think it really, you know, like you say, it kind of addresses a different audience. Yeah. Um, and and uh, but there's definitely a tension between you know the the two two camps of of <laughs> yeah. players. Yeah, there's a lot
1: of neat get... ideas there. I remember I really like the the idea of you get different bonus for the four different eras. Yeah, for the different sieves. like that was really interesting, and that you can really only pull that off when you can kind of view the whole game from beginning to end, mm-hmm. and you know that it's going to go at a pretty f- quick, mm-hmm. quick right. speed. You know? Yeah, and you know you know that, that you'll have however many turns. You know, you'll have forty turns of this era, and then forty turns of this mm-hmm. era, and then two more, and then you're done, right? Like,
0: um, yeah, I think the the personalities of the sieves worked out really really well. I actually remember that, you know, coming up with that idea, of saying, what if each era had its own bonus? Right. Okay, now i got to come up with 64. <laughs> right, <yeah. laughs> that is an issue. Um. Okay, we can do this. <laughs> um, but yeah, having them, you know, have a, a certain character at the beginning and then that that playing out over time. And uh, yeah, there's a lot, I think there were a lot of ideas that I was really happy with and that, 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 that played out, uh, I think, really well in, in the game. Probably you know, one of the best design games in my mind that I've made, I'd have to say. You know, overall in terms of the game mechanics, I think um, right. there were a lot of ideas that that worked out well. And, and part of that is a reflection of this design meeting. You know, where right. people would bring up a a question or an idea or a suggestion, and that would trigger, okay, this is how it could work within the system. You know, so right. not not that I'm always looking for solutions. I'm, lo- you know, it's like tell me what's frustrating or not satisfying and then kind of within the system, we'll find what the what, what doesn't break other things, but yeah, solves this particular problem, so.
1: Yeah, that's a great way to work as a designer. The hard time is when you're not sure what you're trying to fix,
0: mm-hmm. you know? You just yeah. have a
1: hunch, like, I think this might make it better as opposed to people telling you specifically, I like this and I didn't like this, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Then it's like, well, great, I'll just get to work on that, right? Um, right. But I think another big part. I mean, I think yeah, it totally makes sense that the feedback means helped. But also, I think what helped is the fact that each, for each of those feedback means, the player, could, the players could probably have done a full game true. in like three or four yeah. hours, right? Mm-hmm. Like yeah. you probably played a number, you know, three or who knows how know, many, three or four times as many complete games of Civ Rev than you would have of Civil yes. One, right? Mm-hmm. like yeah. um, and mm-hmm. that would have been true for everyone else as well. So you had a better sense of. What the game actually was. Mm -hmm. Unlike a regular game of Civ, where you kind of understand the first hundred turns pretty well, and then after that, the game's a bit of a mystery. Mm
0: -hmm. Right, it's hard to get to those those things. Yeah, yeah. That was, yeah, another fun game. (laughs)